Well, there's a unique training practice that has been traced back to ancient civilizations that we're actually still seeing practice today all over the world. And what happens on the evening of a young boy's 13th birthday is they're taken out into the wilderness if they're near the desert or into the dense forest if they're in some of the jungle areas. Uh, they're blindfolded, and this is after they've learned all the hunting skills, the fishing skills, the scouting skills, survival skills. They're blindfolded and placed in the middle of the dense forest, or as I said, the desert and the wilderness, completely alone to survive for the evening. And so with any type of twig that cracks or breeze that blows or snakes that slither or bears or lions, whatever they hear, all they're thinking is, is everything that they've been trained and everything that they know, how they're going to survive. And they're terrified because they're alone. And I wonder how many of us feel completely alone today. Maybe thinking, well, well, I've gone through seasons of life where it's been up and it's been down, but I believe the truth is many of us live most of our lives not on the mountaintop, but truly in the valley. And maybe like the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, you've cried out, God, how long must I call for help and you don't even answer? You don't even listen. Habakkuk goes on and he says, I cry out that there's violence happening, however, you don't even respond. How many of us have found ourselves in this situation, feeling like we're blindfolded in the darkness, in the wilderness, and there's no one around to help us or to save us. I believe many of us don't have an issue believing in God. It's when that belief needs to move toward trust. I believe God exists, but can I trust him? That 13-year-old boy that's taken out miles and miles away from the village in the wilderness or in the forest with the blindfold, Something unique happens when the sun begins to come up. It begins to warm their skin. And they know at that moment they can take their blindfold off. They take the blindfold off and look around and figure out what direction they need to go to get back to their tribe. And as they're looking and looking, they think the first thing I need to do is find food because I need energy to get back. Then they see a figure just a few feet away, armed with a bow and an arrow, and it's their father, who's been waiting the entire time, protecting them. How many of us truly believe that God exists, but we don't believe that he's armed with bow and arrow, and as scripture says, an outstretched arm and a strong hand who is ready to protect us? As I said, we believe in him. We believe that he sent his son, died on a cross, rose on the third day. I believe that I can get into heaven, but can God help me navigate the darkness, the valley, the pain, the wilderness, the desert here on earth? You see, it's so easy for us just to believe in him as we've been in the series Flash Theology, which you can get your books, $15. We have them in stock. You can get them on Amazon for $18. As I said last week, watch out Jeff Bezos, right? $15 here, $18 on Amazon. So you can get them out the blue tent. We have them here. But this idea about knowing God and enjoying him more, if I just want to know that he simply exists, that's kind of impersonal for me. I know you exist, but some of you had an opportunity to have a deep relationship with. It becomes more personal when I can fully trust God and I can truly be with him in the midst of valleys and darkness. I don't know what your valley or your darkness or your deep situation feels like right now. Even if, you're, even if you're on the mountaintop, we like to say here at Newbreak, if you're having an amazing week, give it two weeks. Because you'll be in the valley in no time. In fact, this just happened last week. 
My friend Chaz and I, who attends here at Newbreak, um, him and his family are great friends, and my wife Nikki, and, and us and our families hang out together. We love it. Uh, we were on a bike ride. We're heading up to Miramar Lake. And as we're on the bike ride, we see these police officers. And whenever you see police officers and you're on a bike ride, you think, I better stop and ask them what's going on. Uh, so we say, hey, what's happening? And they said, hey, the road is closed. And we're like, okay, can we go through, though? And he's like, yeah, okay, go ahead. So we start, we start riding the bike, and then we're uphill, and the police officer walks, walks over to us. And now, if you're clipped in on a cycle, and you're going uphill, and you stop, it's like hell. That's what it feels like. This is just awful. So we stop, and I'm like, oh, this is great. Yes, Mr. Officer, please talk some more. And he's like, yeah, so you're going to go around, and if you want to head up that way, go right. And we're like, okay, so we got to get started. I almost fall off. Chaz truly almost fell off of his bike. Uh, but then we keep driving up, and we see about five feet of water on, on Carroll Canyon in the road, just completely flooded. And then we ride up to the lake, past some construction crews, and uh, we ride around the lake once, and then we come back down. This is a matter of 10 minutes, and then we see this uh, just outside of the Scripps campus. Huge sinkhole. Mind you, in this moment, when we think of God, we believe in him, but do we trust him? Here's the most amazing thing about this. Five feet of water that happened in a matter of minutes, and this happened truly in a matter of seconds. Not one person was injured. I believe God was there. Uh, right now at our Scripps campus, they're praying about how to proceed. They've been meeting outside because there's some uh, construction needs that need to happen inside of the campus. And then on Friday, this happened. And so for services, they're meeting at Hoyt Park and they're praying together, believing that God is going to show up and do something miraculous because there wasn't access to get to the church building. A bit in the valley, a bit in the dark wilderness feeling like there's a blindfold on, I can't see what God is doing. But God still shows up. So right now, I want us all to pray for our Scripps campus and Pastor Jared, our Scripps Ranch campus pastor and his team, uh, that even today as they pray, God would show up mightily, that there'd be people who are there and saying, how can God do something in a situation like this? And God shows up. So would you join me in prayer? God, I pray right now for our Scripps Ranch campus, Lord God, that you would continue to show up as you always have. Lord God, that it would be a community that, that gets together and says, Lord, you are doing something. Lord, that, that campus has been so faithful and all of our campuses and our campus pastors, uh, we're continually faithful to you. Lord God, we lift up Pastor Jared. We lift up the team, Lord God, that each one of them would be able to have this courage from deep within them, this endurance, this trust, and this hope, and this belief, and this acceptance that you are an amazing, powerful, worthy God of worship. So Lord, we thank you, and we love you. You know, we pray, amen. You know, what's really cool is uh, right now, they're actually feeding all of the construction workers. This is what your giving does. They're feeding all the construction workers donuts, and if you've worked construction, we like donuts. Uh, and then they're also gonna provide lunch for them and endless coffee because uh, construction workers, we drink coffee like it's water. Uh, so that's what your giving does. So it's impacting all those people that are there right now. But maybe this is a picture of our lives at times. There's just this deep pit, this deep hole. God, where are you? Again, like Habakkuk called out, how long, O oh Lord, must I cry for help? And you don't even listen. But you take the blindfold off and you start searching and then you start seeing. 
Today, I want to look at this idea. When I call for help, when I'm in desperate need, what does God promise me? I believe God promises each of us something unique, something powerful that we need to hold on to. Out of, out of all the messages in this series, I believe as we've gone through God is love, God is holy, and today that God is present with us, we need to understand he promises us something that will allow us to keep going. Because if you're in the valley, something that we desperately need is vision. I need vision in the valley if you're taking notes. I need vision in the valley. Because when we're blindfolded, when we close our eyes to whatever God is doing, we just look at the valley that we're in and we miss what he wants to do. I need vision in the valley, but here's what the enemy does. He wants division. And so what he starts to say to us is, is God's really not there for you? So you get some division between you and God. He says, your friends and family aren't really there for you, so you get some division between your friends and family. He says, you know, your church really isn't there for you, so you start to have more division there. And God is saying, I am right here. Open your eyes. I will show you who I am. We need vision in the valley, not division. I believe God is teaching us something. And we can find it all throughout Scripture because we're not the only people who have walked in the valley before. If you, look, if you open your Bibles to the book of Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 121. That's right in the middle of the Bible. Uh, if you open up your Bible at halfway, you'll get to the book of Psalms uh, or Proverbs. You might see Job. Uh, you just want to keep going a little bit to the right. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 121. Uh, this, is, this is a portion of Psalms that is actually called Song of Ascents. Uh, like ascending up a mountain, because there'd be groups of people who would make a pilgrimage uh, from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level, and so it was actually going to a mountain, Mount God. They would actually view it as this, I'm rising up, I'm ascending to this place, I need to go. But if you're getting to a mountain, you have to go through a valley. And so they would sing these songs. This is like you're making a road trip and you make your playlist, this is this idea. They would sing these songs, every single one of them, starting at Psalm 120 to 134. These are the song of ascents on these pilgrimages, as it would be uh, Passover, as it would be the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Weeks, fall, spring, and summer. This is when they, would, when they would travel. And they would go, and they would say, we want to worship God in this place. And that's what we're about to read today. The psalmist begins, remember, they're in the valley. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? vision in the valley. They go on, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your, at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. If you're taking notes, or you have your Bible open, whether it's the Bible app or the paper Bible, maybe that's a verse you can start praying every morning. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Just like that image of the father standing there for his son the entire evening as the son is terrified on their 13th birthday. He says, I'm armed and ready. I will protect you. I'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. You see, there's something in this psalm that I want us 
to really focus on what God is promising us when we're in the midst of our deep and dark valley and our, and our moments feeling like God is not present. There is a confident assurance that this psalmist has. And he says, what is God promising me? He's promising that he's going to enter into my mess. I'm so thankful we serve a God who enters our mess. Because if we're honest, our lives are messy. Do you believe your life is messy? Raise your hand. Just a few of us. Do you know why it's messy? It's because you're there. And I'm there. We're messy people. But God enters into the mess. All throughout scripture, Genesis to Revelation, God jumps into our mess. Remember when Adam and Eve, uh, they take the fruit that they're not supposed to eat. They eat the fruit. Who shows up first, Adam and Eve or God? God comes to them and says, where are you? God shows up. In the midst when there's separation between us and God, as we see in the New Testament and all throughout the Old Testament, God shows up sending his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to reconcile us back to God. He says, I show up first. I will enter into the mess. As I was preparing for this message, I felt like God wanted me to share, if, you've, if you're experiencing right now a wilderness, a valley, a darkness, and you're feeling like it's just been rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, you didn't get that opportunity, you didn't get that job, you didn't get that relationship, whatever it may be, you didn't get that house, it, what, this new season is not working out for you, rejection is an opportunity for God to redirect. Not rejection, but redirection. Maybe God is redirecting each of us in this season. He's saying, I'm entering into your mess, but Marcus, I'm just going to turn you a bit this way, just a few degrees different than what you expected. Maybe that's what each of us need, because we want God to enter into our mess and just fully just take us out, just heal everything right now. He says, no, I'm going to be with you. It's not rejection, it's redirection. In the same way as the psalmists and the singers are in this valley singing this song, God, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Not, not I'm looking down at my feet and the darkness and the pain that I'm walking. God, I look up to the mountains. I'm positioned in the valley. That's the only way that I can look up to the mountains. If I'm on the mountains, what am I looking up to? But I'm in the valley. I look up to the mountains. And there's, there's a really powerful a parallel that is happening here. You see, in a lot of pagan religions, these pagan gods, these false gods, they would essentially reside in the mountains. But you'd have to call out or have a right posture to actually allow these gods who are up in the mountains to come down to you. You're like, I hope you can hear me. You'd have to talk louder and louder and clap and dance and do these certain things. God, these gods, I hope they would come down. The psalmist says, I look up to the mountains. Another parallel is the idea that they're looking up to the place that is the destination of worship. However, we're going to worship in Jerusalem, but right here I'm going to worship now. I'm positioned in the valley, but I'm going to worship. You see, the idea that we can look up to the mountains and know that that's the place I want to be. But God, here's where I am, and I know that you're going to be with me. And if you're like me, sometimes you've walked so, so long in the valley that you start talking to yourself just like this. And when you've been through a difficult season, you're like, Marcus, what is going on? Man, I don't know what's happening. Marcus, what were you thinking? And then you respond to yourself. Marcus, I actually don't know. That's what happened here. Where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's exactly where it comes from. I don't even know why I'm questioning myself. God, what are you doing? And I respond to myself. He's showing up like he always does. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and the earth. I don't look to the mountains to get my hope. 
because the mountains can't provide something for me. I look to the one who created the mountains. He's the one who can give me everything that I need. That word help is azer, E-Z-E-R. It's this idea of a rescuer who's willing to drop everything and run to you. It's the same idea as as if you have kids, uh, you hear a loud thud and a scream. You stop everything to go run. I'm willing to drop everything to go and run to my kids. That's the God that we serve. My help comes from the Lord. He drops everything because we don't serve a God who loves from a distance. We don't serve a God who says, I love you, but stay over there. He says, I love you, I'll come to you. I fully believe that we serve a God who shows up. As the great Russian missionary would say, she would say this, God will show up. Even when we've made a mess of things, even when it's our fault. Done that before? Yes. Hey, God, get me out of this because I messed up. He'll still show up. He will show up. Why? Because that's who he is. Am I willing to trust God when I don't fully understand, when I have unanswered prayers, when I have questions? Am I willing to trust that he's going to show up? Because that's the God that we serve, that he's going to fully enter into my mess? I believe that's the God that we serve, even when we don't understand it. So one, one famous pastor would say it this way, Craig Rochelle, he'd say, even if you don't understand completely, be willing to trust and obey immediately. Can I get there? God, I don't know what you're doing in this season. I'm not fully sure, but I know you'll show up. And we have one of our own Newbreakers watching online. Her name is Vicki Bishop. Vicki Bishop hasn't been able to uh, be in service for a while because she's been dealing with some illness, uh, been dealing with some cancer. And we just got news last week that she is cancer-free. So Vicki, we say hello. <laughs> Give her a hand. Vicki, you've been praying, we've been praying, and you believe that God would show up no matter what. And he did. So Vicki, we can't wait to see you again. We will greet you with hugs and joy and laughter and tears because we serve a God who shows up and loves, not from a distance, but intimately. Let's give Vicki a hand. We love you. God shows up. God shows up. But the problem is, when we have these fears, when we have this difficulty, when we have this valley, when fears arise, where are your eyes? Where do I look when my fears arise? You see, the difficult thing about the valleys and the difficult seasons of life is, is unfortunately, they're inevitable. They're going to happen. You can't only live on the mountaintop. And if you did, you'd seem really strange to everybody. Like, how are you doing? Everything's good. Always good. Really? Always? Yeah, no, everything's always fine. Yeah, I lost the job, but you know what? <laughs> always something better. <laughs> That's strange. We get in the valleys. We have to know where we need to look. The valleys are inevitable, however, they're indispensable. They, they show us our limits. They show us our dependence, and it's an opportunity for us to see where our focus is. Where do we focus when we're in the valley? Can I tell you what I do? I focus on myself. Because I think if I just get a little stronger... If I get some more tenacity, I'll pull myself up, I can get through this. I'll figure it out myself. The only way to get it done is if you do it yourself. You want it done right, do it yourself. Don't trust anyone or anything else. Don't even bring God into this because, Marcus, you just figure it out and keep going. You know what I'm learning? The more I acknowledge my weaknesses, 
I'm finally able to experience God's strength in my life. If I say, God, I can't do this. I can't figure it out. And he goes, I know. I'm God. I have this figured out. In fact, I wrote the book on figuring things out. Trust me. And trust not only that he's going to enter into your mess, but he's going to protect you. No matter what you're going through, he's going to protect you. And we like to think that this is the idea that God protects us from things. No, he protects us through things. Scripture does not tell us we'll never know pain. It just means that when you're experiencing pain, God is saying, it's not that you don't know pain, it's that I want you to grow through this pain. I want you to grow through this season. I want to show you more of myself. This is what God is speaking to us in the middle of this moment and the darkness and the valley when you're looking up to the mountains and you're saying, God, where are you? He says, there's a reason you're in the valley right now, Marcus. There's a reason why I have you walking on this journey. And maybe you're here today and it's felt like it's been a season of thing after thing after thing and it's been tiring and you're sick of it and you're done. God says, keep walking. And when you can't walk, he'll carry you. Because he wants to show you something in this season. I said in the first week of our series, wherever God is, love is. Because of who God is, Yahweh, as the God of the Bible, he shows up, so that means wherever his presence is, his protection is. God would never let something harm his kids. This may start a question that many of us have asked. It's a question of a theological word called theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? One pastor said it this way, a bad thing happened to a good person once. His name was Jesus. We're not good people. So the question is, why do bad things happen to bad people? Because the world is broken. But God shows up. And if you want to know more about that idea and more about that question and, and maybe what scripture has to say about it, I want you to join us next week as we look at this idea of what God is doing in those seasons. When God shows up, God protects. This is the God that we serve. This is why he says, he will not let your foot slip. This idea of a foot slipping, losing this uh, bit of foundation, is this idea of something bad is about to happen. It's like when you would hear a minor chord when you're watching a movie, and you just know something, oh, something bad's about to happen. They would say, your foot's slipping, something bad is about to happen. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will not sleep. I'm so thankful we don't serve a God who sleeps. Can you imagine if you had to wake your God up? That's what they believed in the pagan religions. They, they think, you know what? You got to wake that God up. Yeah, the sun God, he sleeps during when the moon is out, so you got to wake him up. Hey, sun God. Hey, sun God. Hey, if you can wake up for like 10 minutes, I just have a quick question. That's what they believed. And in fact, when you see, in, in reading in the, in the book of Kings, you see uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel calling out uh, as he has these altars. He says, all right, is it all about Baal? If Baal's your God, serve him. But if we're serving the God of Scripture, I want, I mean, he's got all of this wood. He puts water on all of the wood. He says, why don't you call down fire? Let your gods do it. And so he's, you guys go ahead, hundreds of them. And they're like, hey, gods, could you wake up? We, we want this thing to be lit on fire. Here's what he says. He says, oh, is your God sleeping? Wake him up. He says, oh, no, no, maybe he's relieving himself. That's where he's in the restroom. It's in the Bible. You got to read it. You got to read it. But Elijah said, that's not my God. My God doesn't sleep. You see, I, I think of each of us. 
Scripture calls us sheep. I've said it before that sheep are some of the most ignorant animals on earth. And God says, yeah, Marcus, you are one of those. And I was like, I know, I am. You see, the thing about sheep that's really unique, though, is, is they don't have any defense. Cats have claws and speed and teeth, and dogs have teeth and a bit of speed. Horses can kick. Uh, llamas, they spit at you for defense, which is wild. You can start doing that if you want, you know. Oh, yeah, poo, you know. Uh, the horned frog, they shoot blood out of their eyes for defense, which is wild. That would stop any fight. Someone starts talking about you, you just go, oh yeah? Mm. But sheep, they're not fast. They don't have claws. The only thing they can do is butt up against one another. And when they do bite, they don't bite other animals, they only bite sheep to like assert some type of pecking order. So the only security that sheep have is in the shepherd. So when you read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you can rest in the fact that he's got you. He didn't give you any poisonous wool, so you need to figure it out yourself. You're just there and you rest in him. And you can trust in him completely. And know that the shepherd is not sleeping. He's awake and waiting. I can rest because I know my God is not asleep. The same way my wife, Nikki, is a harder sleeper than I am. And when she's sleeping, noise can go off in the house and she's just, wee, 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 you know, still asleep. Because she knows I'm a lighter sleeper. And if I hear something, I'm gonna go and handle it. A lack of rest shows a lack of trust. Can I rest? And the fact that I trust who God is and he's going to protect and show up for me. This idea comes from this beautiful word called shamar. This is our flash fact for the week. It's this idea of protecting, keeping, and watching over. It's this idea of God encircling us and camping around us and covering us and shielding us the same way that God did for Daniel in the lion's den, the same way that God did for David and Goliath, the same way that God did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fire pit. He said, you know what? I'm going to show up for you. I'm going to protect you. This is how God shows up in our lives. And I've seen it in my own life. I wrote down seven ways that I've seen God protect me. He's protected me from traps. In Psalm 91, from lust in James 4, from oppressors in Psalm 37, from punishment of sin, 1 John 2. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And here's who he protects, those in our homes. Isaiah 32, 18 says, my people will live in peaceful dwelling places. He protects our children, Psalm 102, and he protects our marriages, Ecclesiastes 4.12. That's what he protects. I was sharing with you earlier that uh, my friend Chaz and I went on a, a bike ride recently. Uh, well, I've seen Chaz live life and have ups and downs and have a relationship with God in just one of the most amazing ways. And we sharpen one another and we encourage one another and pray for one another. Um, but Chaz has a story of how he was in a valley. And it seemed like there would be no way out. But I wanted to have Chaz share that. So Chaz, would you join us? Give Chaz a hand. Good to see you, sir. So, Chaz, why don't you uh, share a little bit about what happened? Uh, first, let's start. Tell us a little about yourself. What do you do for work? Uh, property manager for uh, Homeowners Association. HOA. Yeah, HOA. there you go. 
No one clapped for that. H-O-A-I is. Wow. Wow. He's one of the good ones, okay? He's I one don't get the, the violation letters. I <laughs> yeah. Notice he didn't say where he works as an HOA. Yeah, he's, might be you and there. You don't know. Anyways, uh, uh, that, that's what you do. And uh, your family's here. Uh, you know, hi, Amanda. And the boys are here. Um, I, I want you to share about the time you were in the valley and if God even showed up. Great. Sure. Um, well, I can never imagine that 25 years later, I'd be in a position to talk about something that at the time was truly traumatic and um, impossible. And um, I grew up in San Diego. Um, my dad was my hero to me. He would go run about seven miles every night. And every summer, he would go out and he would do a bike trip with his best friend. They would ride over 1,000 miles. and. Um, and that would be a couple weeks where they'd go do that, and he'd come back and talk about it. And he was just, he was bigger than life to me. And so one year in 1998, I was 15. Uh, my older brother, who was 19, uh, we, were, we were awoken at the door at 1 a.m. by a police officer. And the police officer said, uh, your father's been involved in a hit-and-run accident. Um, someone's hit him while he was running on Fiesta Island. And the only reason that we found him uh, was because there was a canine unit that happened to be there, just happened to be there, at the right time to relieve itself. They had the, the dog out to relieve itself, and it, and it came upon my dad, who was uh, hit to the side of the road um, in critical condition. And so the officer says, he's at, at the hospital, you'll need to go, go see him. And so um, my mother, my brother, and I get there, and uh, it's probably 2, 2 a.m. at that point, and um, I remember walking in, the nurses trying to prepare us for what we are about to see, and mind you, just a couple hours earlier, I had seen him um, working on his bicycle, just like a regular night, and then he was going to go running, and as I walked into the, the hospital room, he had dozens of uh, cords hooked up to him on life support. And you're... 15 years old at this time. I'm 15, my brother's 19, and um, they were there with my mom. And, and I remember my, my mom and my brother, they were, they were hysterical, rightly so. And I remember just thinking and praying to God, I've got to be the one to show up. I've got to be the one to, to, be, um, to look after my dad. What, what can I do? And so my, my brother actually ended up calling Channel 10 News, and we, I went on to give an interview to find the person and say, if you know anything about what's happened, uh, would, you, would you please give us some information? Uh, it turns out the license plate fell off when they hit him. And so um, they were able to actually find, find the person. But my dad would remain in a coma for two weeks. And in those two weeks, it was like a nightmare. Every morning I'd wake up, uh, it felt like this can't be real. And I'd walk in to his room and he wasn't there. And I thought, well, I guess, I guess it is. And... But I can tell you this, and this goes with the theme of tonight, today's sermon, is that um, with, with our church family praying for us, uh, for my dad and for my brother, my mom and I, um, we had a peace that passes all understanding. There was a sense that while we didn't know the outcome, is he going to wake up, what's going to happen, we knew that God was there. And so after two weeks, he wakes up. And uh, he went on to later tell us the first thing that he thought about when he woke up was that God had said to him, I, I brought you back because I want you to be closer to family. Wow. And he said it was just right on his heart. He actually, the first thing he said to two of his friends that were there when he awoke. 
And so then he, from there, he now begins a process of rehab to learn how to walk again. He wasn't supposed to, the injuries that he suffered, um, he had a broken back, hip, spinal cord exposed. Uh, they said that if he lived, he'd never walk again. Wow. And so uh, for a process of about three months, he's learning how to walk again. And then in, in 1999, this is about eight months after the accident, he invites me on a, his annual bike ride uh, with him and his best friend. And so we, we uh, fly up to Seattle, and we ride from Canada down to Sacramento, 1,600 miles in 16 days. And uh, it was That's just a, a... It was a lot. That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm just... It, that, that trip was, was huge because I saw my dad. He still had a metal uh, bracket holding his back together. Um, but it was an incredible experience of seeing God show up in such a real way. For the next 10 years, we would ride all over the country together. Uh, in 2009, 10 years after the accident, we rode from San Diego to Florida in 21 days. It was 2,500 miles. And um, again, just it was a testimony to, to God saying, I want you back for your family. This isn't going to just be, you know, it's a great, good that you get to go on bike rides, but I want you to bring your son. Wow. And so uh, it was just a, a momentous time. After that, 10 years later, uh, we did that trip. And you know, I look at that whole experience and I say, yeah, God protected my dad from death, but that's not always the case. We weren't protected from pain um, and hardship, but at the same time, I think what my biggest takeaway has been is that as you were sharing, um, it's in our, in our greatest weaknesses, it's almost required that we come to know the strength of the mighty God that we serve. And so, appreciate you letting me share this today. My dad's actually right there with his friend, Mike. Oh, come on. <laughs> Come on. You know, that's, it's, it's amazing that that's the God we serve. And as you said, that's not always our story. Uh, we hear um, God feeling like he's missing in some of these events when those of us who have lost loved ones. Um, but the thing is, even like your dad said, I'm here to be more present in my family. Um, I'm even learning in my own life. Sometimes that's why we're still here. If, if you're still here today, God says, I want you to be more present with your family. Whatever that looks like. Uh, maybe you have roommates. Uh, maybe just in your neighborhood, in your workplace. God, I need to be more present. And watch how God is protecting you individually and your family collectively. So Chaz, thank you so much for sharing. Give Chaz a hand. That's what God can do. That's the God that we serve, and there is uh, no other thing that you can put into that space that God holds. You can't say, oh, it was just coincidence. It is not just coincidence. It is God showing up because that's the God that he is when he protects and he cares. What I love about the psalm that we're reading, the Song of Ascents, is they are singing this in the midst of the valley. And I believe when we are in the valleys and the dark places, what we need is community and we need worship. And what happens in the valley, if you're like me, is we stop singing and we start isolating. And God says, I want you to continue to sing because I'm still God, even in the midst of this pain and this loss and this difficulty. I'm still God. And I want you part of community so that when you sing together like we did this morning, you'd be reminded there's still joy in the Lord's house because he's still good and he's still God. No matter what I am facing, he is still good. And if you continue to read the Psalms, you see that there are some really dark moments, but you still get to call out to him, God, this is a really difficult situation, but you say that you are good. So I'm going to keep worshiping and I'm going to stop isolating. I'm going to find community. 
Because your word shows us that the Lord himself will go before you and be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. I believe that he will do it. The question is, Marcus, do you believe it? He will do it. Do I believe it? He may not do it like the way I want him to. But he's God. I am not. Will I believe it? Do I believe that his protection is not only for today, but also for tomorrow and then beyond? God's protection is not just for today. It goes beyond this life. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 32 could cry out, they say, God, in my distress, you are my hiding place. I find rest and comfort even in you. This is as we read in Psalm 121, the Lord will watch over you. You're coming and you're going, both now and forevermore. He did this all throughout scripture, whether it was angels, whether it was fire, whether it was clouds, uh, whether it was, was a ram in the thicket, whatever it may be, God shows up. Floods and miracles, God shows up. People and community, God shows up. Unlimited power, God shows up. And you're saying, but life is tough. And God is saying, that's my opportunity to show you who I am. As Jesus would tell his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you would have peace. Notice he says this right after he's telling the disciples that they're all going to leave him and essentially betray him when he gets arrested. And he says this, but I won't be alone because my father will be with me. And then Jesus is essentially telling them, I want you to have that type of faith so that in me you would have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble, unfortunately but take heart, I've already overcome the world. I'm not alone, my Father is with me. And I get to have this unshakable, this assured and this confident trust in deep peace that God is gonna continually show up. This is the peace we get to have. This is the peace like Paul would have, the, Paul the Apostle, whose name was changed after he had a moment with God himself. Jesus showed up to him, this powerful moment. Paul was shipwrecked over three times. All it takes is one time for me being shipwrecked, I'm never getting on a ship again. Paul was like, God is my help. He's my protector. Doesn't matter. I'm going to keep going. Paul said, I'm just going to show up. God's going to take care of the rest. They told Paul, you know what? We're just going to beat you. And he goes, okay, I bear the scars that show I belong to Christ. So we're going to whip you. That's fine. I'll just tell more of my story. He said, Paul, we're going to put you in prison. He goes, cool. I'll tell the guards about Jesus. They'll get saved and the gates will fall off. Cool, no problem. They're like, Paul, how are we going to get you down? He goes, the Lord is my strength and my helper. And by the way, I'm raising up Timothy, so he's going to take it over too. Same idea. Because he understood that his God has overcome the world. And that God is his help. God is his strength. And that if our God who never sleeps is always there for us, then I can have confidence that our tireless God never tires over protecting us. I had a conversation with someone this past week who was sharing some of their valley situation, some of their dark moments. And they uttered these words, sometimes I feel like a burden. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who never views us as a burden. Who never says, Marcus again? He says, Marcus again. You're not a burden to God. You're not a burden to his church. You're not a burden to his people. Our tireless God never tires over protecting you. I've been to some of the most amazing military ceremonies and oftentimes they read this thing called the watch. They essentially say, you're relieved from the watch 
we have the watch now. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. God says, I have the watch. And I'm watching you. Your role is to trust in him. God's role is to protect us. He has the watch now. So what about you and me? In the midst of whatever we're falling in, whatever we're going through, whatever valley we may be in, in desperation, where do I go? What does it look like for you? Only you know. I've learned that whatever I trust most is where I go first. My prayer is it would be God every time, but if I'm honest, it's not always Him. Where do you go first? Relationships, previous addiction, you just isolate. Where do you go? My prayer is it would be Him because He's our protector. Shamar. That's the God we serve. Let us pray together. God, I thank you that you're a powerful, mighty, wonderful God who protects us, who's with us, who doesn't love from a distance, who cares for us. Lord, just today within within your church, we heard two miracles, cancer-free and a living father. God, that is amazing because that's the God we serve. And for those of us that are hearing that same message, but also thinking of the people that we have lost and the sicknesses we're still dealing with, Let us be reminded, you are still protector. That our experiences don't change your goodness. But Lord God, in the midst of our valleys, let us be able to turn to you and be able to worship you and find hope in you. Church, would we all stand together? Would you stand with me? If you would just even put your hands out like this, you're about to receive something from God because when you're in the midst of the valley sometimes it feels like we have nothing to give and God says you have everything to receive so father we continue in our worship to you as we glorify you and you alone we love you Jesus amen